Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, where we can look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hodgeberg, and this is episode number 450. This week, I just got back from a three-night cruise on Royal Caribbean's Oasis of the Sea, so I wanted to share with all of you my thoughts on Oasis of the Seas and my cruise. Here we go. When Royal Caribbean updated Oasis of the Seas back in 2019, I remember being really, really blown away by how impressive everything was on board the ship. This was really at the height of the amplification program, and we had just seen amazing changes on both Mariner and Navigator of the Seas. Of course, Indy got a great change as well, but you know, and then I went on Oasis and I felt like they really hit a high note with that amplification, taking an Oasis class ship that we all knew and loved and enhanced it with a number of different products, and it really stood out to me. So being able to go back on Oasis now a couple of years later, and my first time on Oasis since the pandemic, I thought this would be a good opportunity. And the fact that she was doing a three-night cruise was really impressive. I don't know why she was doing a three-night cruise. I think maybe at one point there was a charter on the previous four nights, and the three-nighter was just to get the ship back on the schedule, so to speak. But as it turned out, the four-night cruise before us was available to everybody. So who knows? But we booked a three-night cruise. This was a, a cruise out of Miami. So I drove down the night before the cruise. I actually stayed in Fort Lauderdale at a favorite hotel of mine, which is the Hyatt-centric Las Olas Boulevard. And the reason why I picked to stay in Fort Lauderdale and not Miami was since I was driving from Orlando, I thought it would be advantageous for me to split up the drive a little bit and stop in Fort Lauderdale because the morning of the cruise, I'm just going to get there. You know, I'm going to want to drive anyway. I'm going to have, I'm going to want to do something. I'd be too excited. So having an extra 30 or 50 minute drive from Fort Lauderdale wouldn't be a bad thing. For this cruise, we had a loft suite booked, which is a sky class room. Originally, I had booked a balcony room, but I forget a couple months ago, I was looking at prices and I said, you know what? Let's upgrade to a loft suite. Try out the sky class experience. It's all in the name of research after all. And <laughs> I thought to myself, let's go for it. This cruise was just me and my wife, no kids. So I kind of figured like if we're going to do the suite life, it might be nice to do it on this sailing. So that way we could take full advantage of it. And as it turned out, I think that was a good idea for us. And it wasn't terribly more expensive. It wasn't, it was expensive. It wasn't like it was a cheap deal or a super amazing deal to go there. But sometimes I feel like you just want to have a nice relaxing trip and booking or splurging for a suite and spending the extra money can be worthwhile. And in my case, that definitely was the case. Sailing out of the port of Miami is pretty easy. I love terminal a down there, drive in, park in the garage, go right in. And being a sweet guest, they let us right into the terminal area, went to the waiting spot, and they began boarding pretty quickly. You know, we had a noon check-in time and the concierge emailed us a couple weeks before the cruise, which is pretty standard these days, and said, hey, basically come in an hour before your check-in time. I came in a little before that. I kind of wanted to see where that line was in the sand, if you will. And being a sweet guest, we were able to go right in. I remember seeing a couple of other guests standing outside the terminal waiting to get in. But once they saw we were sweet guests and there was a separate line for sweet guest check-in, they let us right in. We went, there were actually other people that were there before us and we did the check-in pretty easy. And then we waited in the suite lounge before we got on board the ship. Now, as I mentioned, I wanted to take advantage of what the suite has to offer. And this is some really good advice. I think for anybody who's booking a suite, not necessarily a genie. We've talked about that in other episodes, but if you're in a sky class, you've access to the concierge. I think the concierge can do a lot for you to make your life easier. Certainly when they email you a couple weeks before your cruise, that's your opportunity to book dining in advance. I told them I wanted to book these restaurants on these nights at these times, and they were able to take care of all of them except for one. Izumi Hibachi was a weird one. They gave me a reason. I don't remember exactly what it was. They essentially said something along the lines of, we can't book Hibachi ahead of time. You have to wait till you get on board the ship to book it, which I then said, no problem. But then about a week or a little less than a week before the cruise began, the concierge emailed me again and said, unfortunately, they're sold out for your cruise. Now, at that point, 
I've been on enough cruises, even during the pandemic here and certainly in the last couple of weeks to know that when a restaurant is sold out, they're not really sold out. They're not fully booked to capacity. In fact, Izumi Hibachi doesn't allow reservations for lunch ahead of time in most cases via the website. So I wasn't terribly worried about it, but I told my wife, we got to go to Izumi as soon as they open. So that way I can get a spot in there. Sure enough, we get on board the ship and Izumi opened up right around 12 or one o'clock. I forget exactly when, and we went down there. And they were able to open up any spots we wanted for lunch. And there were some later spots for dinner that were open there. So if you ever hear a restaurant is fully booked before your cruise, don't worry about it necessarily. There can be other opportunities for slots. Just go there as soon as you get on board. But the concierge was great. They booked our entertainment when we got on board the ship. We didn't book entertainment before the cruise via the concierge via the email, which I think we've done that in other cruises. But I think because this was a three-night cruise, if memory serves me correctly, we were not able to book our shows ahead of time. We had to wait to actually have the schedule. And that was when we got on board, but they had no problem booking our show reservations for us. And that proved to be very, very simple. So I didn't have to go to the Royal Caribbean app to book any of these things. It's really nice. And as, if you're staying in a suite, it really does behoove you to go right up to the concierge as soon as they open and talk to them at that point. Cause I think that really just makes it a lot easier. So we got that taken care of. And then we're staying in a loft suite room, which we've done before. This is the multi-deck room in which you have a two-story loft space, if you will. The bottom floor is the, there's a bathroom down there, a lot of storage space. You've also got the living room and the balcony. And then on the top floor, you've got the bedroom and the master bath as well. You know, one thing that really jumped out to us was the difference between Oasis of the Seas and her sister ships. You know, we had stayed in a loft suite on Harmony of the Seas. And Oasis being a 1.0 version of the Oasis class, you can really see some major differences. Like number one, there are very few outlets, but if you're on the same type of room on Harmony, Symphony, or Wonder of the Seas, I'm willing to bet there's a lot more outlets. In addition, there's way less storage space, especially in the main bedroom area on Oasis of the Seas. This is just true of all ships until really Harmony. I remember Harmony and actually to a certain extent, maybe even Anthem, when they came out, they started adding some more storage space than I'd ever seen on a cruise ship before. Nowadays, when you have Symphony and Wonder and Odyssey, there's a ton of storage space in cruise ship rooms, but going back on Oasis, it was kind of interesting, even though we were in a suite, there wasn't as much space for it. So actually my wife ended up keeping all of her belongings in the master storage space in the bedroom on the second floor. And I kept all my stuff on the bottom floor down there. It wasn't a big deal, but you know, just something that we kind of noticed there, but otherwise the room was great. And if you're doing a loft suite, you have two choices of views. One is to view the ocean. The other is the sports deck. In general, I think you're better off with the loft suites that view the ocean. I mean, the nice thing about viewing the sports deck is you can do people watching a lot better, but then those same people can see you. And for some people, that may be an issue. My wife doesn't like that. She prefers to have the ocean views with a little more privacy. But, you know, again, different strokes for different folks. So kind of up to you how you want to look at it that way. I enjoy the fact that we were on deck 17 for our room. And so was the suite lounge. You know, we recently did a cruise on the Harmony and on the Wonder of the Seas in Aqua Theater Suites, and they were fabulous rooms, but they're not located in the suite area. They're on a different deck on both cases, like deck nine or 10, and all the way at the end of the hallway. And being able to simply walk out of your room and go right into the suite lounge or coastal kitchen was really convenient. There were a couple times in which my wife was getting ready for dinner or taking a nap, and I said, I'm just gonna go to the suite lounge and hang out there a little bit. And sure enough, it's a quick walk. It really made a big difference in convenience. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't book an Aqua Theater Suite, they're wonderful rooms and the views of them, especially for the aqua theater shows are amazing, but I really got a lot of value out of having a really convenient option of going to the suite lounge. And I think it was really important. Now on the flip side, you're on deck 17, which means you're at the very top of the ship. And you've also got to go with the elevators that are only limited to go to deck 17. Only the aft elevators go there. And as a result, you got to deal with, well, maybe longer waiting times 
four elevators because most people are going up to, you know, the pool deck or whatnot. So it's not nearly as convenient. And you're also more reliant on the elevators in general because walking up and down the stairs can be a little more jarring, especially if you're on the promenade, you know, walking up 12 decks of stairs is probably not going to be an option for most people. Speaking of people on board, overall, it was a great cruise, but there was about 92% capacity. The ship was far from empty and short cruises have always have a different dynamic than longer cruises, but it really did feel like the lines were just a little longer than normal. I think part of this may have been the fact that on a waste of the season, a waste class ship, you know, they didn't have every single form of entertainment available. And that resulted in possibly being longer lines because there was less to do to draw people away. You know, Royal Caribbean is still recovering from Omicron in terms of staffing and the staffing on board cruise ships is not back to hundred percent yet. But as cruise ships start to increase their capacity numbers, we move from, you know, maybe 60% capacity to 70, 80, in our case, 90% capacity, or even more than that. I feel like not having every single activity or entertainment available means that you're going to start seeing the effect of longer lines because there's less to do. I'm not wanting to say here and tell you that, you know, it was awful and I had a terrible time and the lines were incredibly long. I just think we noticed like, wow, there's a lot more people kind of standing around. Wow. This line is a little longer than usual. And I think perhaps it's because they were still trying to get everything back up and going. Now, the good news was Aqua 80s was still operational in the full show there. You had cats going in the main theater and you had the ice skating show frozen in time in the Studio B area. But, you know, if they're missing a show or two here or an entertainer there, I feel like perhaps that messes with the flow of the cruise. Now, again, three night cruise. So when you have a three night cruise, you're doing a lot of people who are going away for the weekend, wanting to party. They're going to want to spend more time doing things like going to bars and hanging by the pool, I think more than maybe if this was a seven night cruise, it would have been really interesting if I'd stayed on board for another seven nighter, partially because it would have been great to stay on board for another cruise. But in truth, I'm just wondering if the dynamic of the cruise is different on a 92% capacity ship. If you've got more people on board who are looking to do a different style of cruising again, we'll never know about this. But I think also part of it, and I freely admit this is I think we're all adjusting mentally away from limited capacity sailings. It wasn't that long ago that we had ships that were selling 50% capacity. So I kind of think that there is some truth to like, it's you've got to adjust mentally to this. If this 92% capacity was in 2019, I wouldn't have batted an eye on it. Heck, I probably would have been on here and be like, guys, it was not that crowded on board. So, you know, it, it's a little different dynamic there. Something else that we tried that was new to us, which is renting a cabana at the Cocoa Beach Club. No, we've rented cabanas before, but in this case, this was the beach cabana, not the over-the-water floating cabana. And I picked this one specifically to try this out. Now, I was worried primarily about it being too stagnant compared to the over-the-water cabanas. The beach cabanas are set back on the beach and they're among a lot of different vegetation, which makes them absolutely beautiful to look at. But in some cases, I remember doing the walk back there because in order to get from the beach club restaurant or the pool back to the floating cabanas, you have to walk right by those beach cabanas. And there have been a couple of times I've walked by there and I thought to myself, man, this is really warm over here. There's not a lot of breeze, but it was not the case at all in our cabana, whether or not that's a reflection of the design of the cabanas or the fact that it was just a windy day and it felt great, actually. Who knows? But it was a wonderful choice for us. The one thing that's missing from the beach cabanas compared to the over the water cabanas is that you have you don't have a stand up shower in there, but they do provide a full hammock for you. Now, the floating cabanas have a hammock in the water, a little different, but I think having the regular, like traditional hammock was a nice choice. And I really like that a lot more. I would have gone in there, but my wife took it up the entire time. So I never got a chance to try it out, but I really like the cabana and, you know, of course, access to the restaurant and the pool is a little bit closer and easier from those beach cabanas. Speaking of the infinity pool, the infinity pool is now heated about three weeks ago. 
Royal Caribbean added a heater there. So it keeps it right between 84 and 82 degrees, depending on the day. And it really made a difference being in there. It was very, very comfortable. And no, the Oasis Lagoon Pool is not heated. Well, it's heated by the sun, but that's about it. I thought Oasis of the Seas really held up well with our amplification, especially seeing Aqua 80s again, one of my favorite shows to see on any Royal Caribbean ship. And based on the guests on the pool deck, I think the pool deck overhaul was really hit with passengers. It continues to be so. So I think they did a great job with that. Overall, it was a great getaway cruise for the weekend. I really did enjoy it. I mean, after all, going on a weekend cruise is better than no cruise at all. And it was just nice to get away a little bit and enjoy some time at Perfect Day at Coco Key. Alrighty, time to answer your listener emails. This is a part of the episode where I dive into the email inbox, answer your questions, and in the interest of full disclosure, I actually recorded this already, and then I lost the recording. So I'll be making the same jokes to myself again, I hope, and uh, apologies if it sounds like I'm laughing about 10% less because I'm making the same jokes, but <laughs> it's all good. It's just a little frustrating, but hey, we got to answer the questions, and you know, I'll, they'll be a little more polished this time around. Let's look at it that way. All right, first question today. From James, Matt, in May, we'll be taking our first cruise as Diamond Level Cruisers in Crown and Anchor Society. Can you help me understand the perks, benefits that come with that level? Or are there any benefits prior to boarding the ship? What do the benefits look like while on board? Thank you so much for all your help over the years. You've made us all better informed cruisers. Thank you, James, for the email. So, as a Diamond member, congratulations on attaining Diamond. The There's a couple of really important pro uh, benefits you should know about. Number one, uh, well, you know, before the cruise in the cruise terminal, because of the new... Uh, wait times being enforced. You don't, it, it doesn't really benefit you much in the terminal. Back in the day, as in pre-COVID, there would have been a separate line for Diamond members. Uh, that's not necessary at this point at the check-in. So I guess you can pretty much disregard that. Theoretically, you do have priority boarding status over other people, but in practice, it's just not going to occur. They don't need it. Uh, on board the ship, though, you're going to get four free drinks a day, every day, every person that's Diamond. That's an incredible perk. And no other cruise line gives you free alcohol like that for being a loyal uh, customer. So every day they're preloaded on your sea pass cards. The thing you have to do, you just, when you order a drink, you just tell them, Hey, I want to use my diamond drink for this. No problem at all. And it's just like the drink package and you drink up to $13 in value before, you know, gratuity or anything is, is covered there, which is fantastic. You also have access to the diamond lounge, which is a special area reserved just for you. When you get on board the ship, you're actually going to get a letter in your stateroom explaining this and other benefits you get. There are other things like 24 hour Voom internet pass, you're going to get a discount on like uh, laundry and some other things as well, but it'll all spell it out over there in your letter. And again, when it comes to the benefits, it's all just, it's all preloaded. You just have to activate it. And in some cases that means telling somebody like with the diamond drinks, tell your waiter, Hey, I want to use my diamond drink. And in other cases, uh, you know, it'll already preloaded in like the internet package. When you go to buy internet plan on board the ship, you'll see a discount automatically applied there. So Thanks for the email, James. Appreciate you. Next email is from Heather. Hi, Matt. I have a question for you today. Can you please explain how a three-night dining package works? Can you use your dinners as lunches instead? Basically, I've always wanted to try Royal Specialty Restaurants, but I haven't because I just love the main dining room so much. Having a waitstaff who knows me and my order is incredible, not to mention the food is great. I'm wondering if there's a way to experience some of the specialty restaurants without giving up, giving up my main dining room dinners. And the answer, Heather, to your question is yes, absolutely. The dining packages whether you have the three-night package or the unlimited package or anything else in between, allows you to go to any specialty restaurant whenever they're open. Usually, most people go there for dinner, but it is available for lunch as well. Basically, if you buy the three-night dining package, you have three dining credits to use, and you could use them all for lunches if you'd like to. It doesn't really matter. You just go to the restaurant, tell them you have the dining package. They'll take off one of the credits, and 
that's basically how it works. There's nothing. Mu there's not much to it beyond that. So if you prefer to do lunches only, you can absolutely do that. It's just a matter of the restaurant being open. You'll usually find one specialty restaurant at least open on embarkation day. And then you'll typically find them open for lunch on sea days only once you get on board the ship. So hopefully that answers that question. Next is an email from Brett. Uh, hi, Matt. I'm a longtime rail cruiser and frequent listener of your blog. I recently sailed on Jan in January on Freedom of the Seas and had a lovely time. As always, it was a pleasure to get to know the staff and their stories. At the time, the ship was less than half capacity due to the Omicron surge. We discussed some of the service. We, we discussed with some of the service staff how this impacted them. While we've always understood how the staff works, how hard the staff works, we came to understand that it was even harder than we previously thought. We learned that many of the staff members work throughout the day, throughout the entirety of their contract without a single day off. Despite that, most are hopeful to have their contracts renewed. They're so grateful for their positions and love of Royal Caribbean. The thought of these incredibly hardworking individuals not being able to take any time to decompress really got to me. I've been thinking a lot about this since the cruise. I understand that for many of the staff, positions on these ships are amazing opportunities, unlike any of them available back home in their home nations for them to save money. I understand that the friendly staff love being on the ship, rely on increased capacity to help them increase their earnings. I just can't help but feel uncomfortable, however, with the idea of their grueling work schedules. I've been conflicted about how to feel about this. I have sailed with Royal Caribbean since I was a child. I know how many jobs are being created by guests paying to sail on Royal Caribbean. I feel, though, the cruise industry and Royal Caribbean as an industry leader could and should perhaps do more to provide better work conditions for their employees. It saddens me to think that the industry I love could be taking advantage of their hardworking staff. Have you ever thought about this issue much before, and do you have any opinions on what, if anything, can be done about it? Is it something that Royal Caribbean has ever addressed in the past, as far as you know? You have an intimate knowledge of all things Royal Caribbean, and an insightful opinion on the ins and outs of the industry, so I feel like you might be able to weigh in for me and help me with some perspectives on this issue. Thanks again for the great content. I hope you have a wonderful time on Wonder of the Seas. Brett, this is a great email, and I don't think we've tackled this particular topic on the podcast before, and I don't think you're off base with what you're thinking. There's a couple things. I just want to make a quick correction. You're, you're absolutely right what you heard, that the crew members do work every day of their cruise. You can see that in the proof. <laughs> if you've been on a cruise, you know that because every day you go to a restaurant, the same wait staff is there. Every day you get out of your stateroom cabin, there's the, the, the people, the attendant over there, right? So you're right about that. And while they do work every day, their hours are not the same as when we work at home here, you know, here in the United States, what I meant to say. Because when you have your job, whatever you happen to do, Brad, I'm assuming you have a nine to five, 40 hour a week job, you go to work at a certain time and you stay there for the entire duration and then come home and then you're done for the day, right? With working on a cruise ship, it's a different dynamic. And while the crew members are working a lot, there is breaks built into that. They're not working continuously throughout the day. As an example, the great example is the stateroom attendants. They have breaks, right? You see them in the morning, right? If you go out of your room between, I'm going to guess, uh, you know, 8 a.m. and 10 or 11 a.m., you're going to find a lot of stateroom attendants in that hallway. But if you go back in that same hallway at 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, you don't see them in there. And that's because there's a giant break in the middle. And pre-COVID, sometimes that would be the perfect opportunity for crew members to get off the ship and kind of do their own thing. In fact, you know, in many ports like Cozumel, there would always be these, you know, famous bars that catered specifically to crew members. It'd be the crew bar. And you would, you know, if you talk to some crew members, they'd mention, you know, if you went there, you got special drinks and, and whatnot. So the work schedule is completely different than it is, you know, for on, on a cruise ship than it is at home. And obviously for these folks who come on cruise ships, who work there, it is a different dynamic altogether. I mean, working on a cruise ship is different than working anywhere else. I think it's quite frankly why when you're on a cruise ship, you rarely see Americans working in frontline positions on cruise ships. What I mean by that is you rarely see American housekeepers. You rarely see American waiters. You rarely see American 
uh, people around board that, except for like, usually maybe the 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 cruise director staff, uh, the Adventure Ocean staff, and obviously some of the um, officers on board. But it's you know there's a certain it's a different dynamic, different approach to it. And you kind of alluded to the fact that in for a lot of these people in these countries, it's an amazing opportunity for them. There's a couple things that you know kind of, and and I'm not saying this anything's right or wrong. I'm just gonna bring up a couple I think reasonable. Uh, I don't I hesitate to see these facts, but you know certainly nuggets of information. Number one, you mentioned this, and I think it's important to mention that most crew members who come to Royal Caribbean not only love their job, they stay on contract after contract after contract. And if you've been on many ships, you know that many, if you ever talk to any crew member, you say, hey, what ship were you on before? They're going to rattle off a number of different ships from a number of different contracts. That to me tells me that this is not, you know, this awful experience for them. They do enjoy it. It's good money and it, it, it's good work. If it was a terrible situation in which it was just, you know, awful things for them, they wouldn't be renewing their contracts. It'd be a constant churning of, of employees. That's not the case. That's, of course, there are some employees who do, you know, come maybe come on for one contract or two and decide it's not for them. That's, that's understandable. That happens in every job. I mean, that happens in my local restaurant here as well, just as much as anywhere else. So it is what it is. And I think what the cruise lines really offer these, these crew members is the opportunity for growth. You know, someone comes on board and may start out as a stateroom attendant or a purser or a, a casino host, right? Croupier. And then, but they can end up as an officer and with a full career in Royal Caribbean. I've seen this firsthand with a number of crew members who've gone through the ranks. And that's, I think, a really important thing to not lose sight on is that, you know, they're, they're putting their time in the beginning and they work their way up. There's absolutely room for growth and and promotion. And I, I just, it, it, it's an undeniable fact, in my opinion, of, of that. But it's a different kind of job. And it's something that I think that, you know, that should be recognized by that along those lines you asked brett if something i would you know uh what we could do i something i would have i would want i want to see royal caribbean all the cruise lines do and that is make gratuities just simply part of the cruise fare not this kind of optional thing because they're not optional gratuities are compulsory i i know that in the academic sense of the word they're they're optional but let's face it if you go on a royal caribbean cruise you're either prepaying your gratuities or you're getting an automatic gratuity assessed on your account that's compulsory it's obligatory it's just it's part of the experience and rightfully so the crew members absolutely deserve that money so let's just take it out of this idea or this like wink wink nudge nudge it's optional put it in the cruise fare pay them that rate and be done with it i think that's the right approach and that protects the crew members from anybody because there are people who go on cruises and remove the gratuities and they either because I don't think it's because uh, I can't speak for other people, obviously, but I think in a lot of cases it's it's for being cheap. They don't want to pay the gratuities or pay as much gratuities or whatever the case may be. I I'm sorry. I want someone spits in your food, which doesn't happen. You should be paying the gratuities no matter what. But, you know, again, that'd be something I think would be a fair thing to do. Some cruise lines do that, by the way, in full disclosure. I know Celebrity does that. Uh, and and I'm, I'm all for Royal Caribbean's kind of modular approach to cruising where, you know, I want the drink package, but somebody else doesn't want the drink package, or I want to, you know, pay to eat at shops. Someone else doesn't want to pay to eat at shops. I like that. I think that's a good idea because that helps, you know, make sure that you're paying for only the experiences you want. But when it comes to gratuity, I think for crew members, I think that's, that's not, that should not be in the purview of optional. That should just be part of the cost. And, um, I, I think that's the fair thing to do there. So Brett, it's a very good question. I'm so glad you brought this up. And um, it, it, it's an important topic to, to cover. Our next email is from Mark N. All right, say, Matt, I'm a longtime listener, first time emailer. My family will be selling on Wonder of the Seas and we'll be staying in the Ultimate Family Suite. Nice. We've been assigned the same Royal Caribbean genie, uh, Izzy, that I believe you had on your recent Star Class sailing. 
Do you have any suggestions for any special requests that we can make uh, to our sailing to make it as epic and memorable as possible? Our previous Star Classic sailing on Symphony, where we all stay, stayed in the Ultimate Family Suite, got cut short due to Hurricane Dorian in 2019, so we felt as though we did not get to have the chance to take full advantage of the experience. We have three young kids, ages 9, 6, and 6, and we're celebrating, celebrating our, tens, our son's 10th birthday party. Any tips or birthday? Man, I really can't read today. Any tips, secrets, recommendations would be helpful. Thanks for all the great content. Mark, thanks for the email. So, when it comes to the genie, the key, the secret to having a Royal Caribbean genie is to ask, ask, and ask again. When I've done a Royal Genie experience twice now where I've stayed in a star classroom and we have the Royal Genie, and the Genie is kind of your magic maker. You can ask them for a lot of different things. And, you know, early on, it was something easy, like, okay, well, someone keyed me in on ask your Genie for Starbucks coffee every morning and room service for, you know, kids and you. Ordinarily, those are things I not would I would not order, but... Yeah, we asked for it, and every day we had our Starbucks delivered to us, so like actually from the Starbucks kiosk, and you know, um, various breakfast items. Great, wonderful, great way to start your day. That's a really small thing to start with. But what I've learned since then is that you need to ask if there's an activity, if there's anything you want to do on that ship, you should be talking to your genie first, saying, "Hey, we're thinking about doing this." When it comes to certain activities, especially for your kids, laser tag, ice skating, of course, any of the shows. You know, there the the genie is there to facilitate that. I remember we were on Wonder of the Seas, and it was really competitive to get a seat at the Mason Jar Bar because it was such a popular venue. And I asked my genie, "Can you can you get us a seat there? Because we're gonna go to dinner, but we want to have a seat waiting for us. We don't have to compete for a seat." I mean, I kind of expect them to be no. I've never seen that offer before. But you know what? Is he called up? Uh, the first person he spoke to said no. The second person said yes, and they got it in there. So you know. It's all about asking, 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 asking is really the key to a good experience uh, for your son's birthday. I would ask for a birthday party of some kind with an ice cream social or some sort of a celebration in the room where you have cake and decorations. I think your genie would be able to facilitate that. That might be a good uh, idea right there to uh, to work with. So hopefully that answers that. And our last question today is from Paula. Hi, Matt. I've asked for him a quote for MEI Travel for our Oasis of the Sea sailing in January 15th, 2023, but I've seen posts from several people concerned about this booking and it may have a high chance of being chartered. I'll be flying in for South Africa and we'll be able to rebook this if, if this happens. How concerned should I be? Well, really when it comes to, you know, the chances of any cruise being chartered, I would say is a possibility, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's a guarantee. When it comes to uh, charters, what you want to do, number one, well, first thing you could do is Google your ship name, sail date, and see what, and the word group or something like that. If there's a partial charter, like there's a group on there, right, already, there's a chance of that. I don't know that any cruise has one advantage over another of being, I mean, nothing's a charter until it's actually chartered, right? There's not like it's a warning or anything like that. Um, I understand your concern. I And granted, you're, well, we're in, uh, we're in April here, so you know, you're about, what, eight months away or so from this cruise, um, you know, nine months away. You've got some time to kind of sort through it and see where it is. I would, you know, reasonably speaking, while there is no set time in which you can say, okay, now at this point, Royal Caribbean cannot turn this into a charter, the closer you get, especially within six months, I would imagine they wouldn't be doing that, clo that close to sailing. Again, money talks, and the more money they send over, maybe that'll change, but how concerned should you be? I mean, honestly, Paula, if I had booked this cruise and I hadn't talked to you in this email here, I wouldn't have even thought about it, quite frankly. I mean, anything's possible, but it's not like I'm going to be sitting here. I, I never really ever think any cruise I book, oh boy, what happens if this cruise is chartered? I mean, no, I understand it's different. You're coming from South Africa, whereas I'm in Florida, and if there was another cruise, okay, big deal. I'll just pick a different one and go from there. But um, 
generally speaking, charter groups usually need a lot of lead time to get their bookings up, uh, just like any any cruise. So it might work to your favor again, the closer you get to about six months or so. It's just, it would seem to me strange that they would do that quite that close in. I'm not saying that's not possible, Paul, so I don't want to mislead you in any way, but I would say that I wouldn't worry about it, but certainly, you know, Googling around and seeing if there's already, if there was, if you found like a partial group on there, you know, that might be like, hmm, interesting. But again, I still wouldn't do anything other than be like, okay, there's a group on there with us. I've, we've been on plenty of cruises in which there have been large groups on board. I remember the first cruise I took out of Galveston, there was a country music band who had a partial charter on board and they were, you know, it was fine. Not the end of the world, far from it. The cruise went on anyway. So yeah, keep an eye on it as best I can tell you. So thanks for the email from you, Paul. Thanks to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Green Blog Podcast. If you want to send me your emails to be read, possibly twice by me on the same episode, send them to Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com, Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again real soon.